0: But yeah, I'm so happy to be here. It hasn't been 15 years that Chris has been asking me to preach, but it has been several, and I'm so happy to finally be here with you this morning. I've already been greeted by so many of you, and you've been so kind and encouraging, and I really appreciate that. And so I can just tell that God is moving here, and you've got something awesome. Um, I did work with Chris for nine years. I survived it. No, as Andy said... Um, last week. Um, I also would not be the campus minister and the person that I am today if it wasn't for Chris. And so you're so blessed to have him. Um, and there's a lot of times when a problem will arise or something will happen and I'll be like, what would Chris do? <laughs> I should probably change that to Jesus. But I'd be like, what would Chris do in this situation? Um, but he was just a rock for us for so long and I learned so much. So um, you're blessed to have him and I was blessed to have him as a co-worker. So... Um, Yeah, so today, um, what I want to talk to you about is this idea of being fully known by God. Being fully known by God, and also, what does it look like to be known by other people, by other people in the church, by the body of believers? And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, But before we do, I'm just going to pray really quickly, and then we'll get into it. God, thank you so much um, for your people, for this church, for the ministry that you are doing here in Swissvale, and for the commitment to this place um, that the congregation has. I pray that you would bless them, that they would spread the gospel in this neighborhood for your glory, and that more people would come to know you, and God, that we would realize today how much you know us and love us um, so much more deeply than we can imagine and we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to start out with a question. And my question is this, if you knew for a fact that there was someone in your life who knew you completely, who knew everything about you, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the deepest darkest secrets that you have, the deepest thoughts that weren't good, that, that you've ever had, and that they looked at you only with grace and love and embraced you, and they didn't change their opinion of you at all? The question is, as you think about this in your mind, you don't have to answer that, this, but if you want to, you can, but it's rhetorical. But how, how might that change your life? How might you live differently because of that person? or in the presence of that person. You know, because we all have things in our lives that we don't want to be vulnerable about and that we don't want anyone to know, even God. We have sin in our lives, we have past trauma that we don't want to deal with and that we're scared to deal with. You know, and and we have we have struggles and we have fears that we don't want to talk about. But if you're anything like me, to share those things with people, let alone God, feels very, very vulnerable and scary. It feels horrifying because I think there's been so much hurt that has come maybe from sharing those things. And yet I think that there could be a place of true healing and freedom if we did bring those things to God. You know, maybe there's things in your life that, you know, shame was put on you because of something that you shared. It could be church hurt in the past. Or just a lot of us have experienced conditional love from people who said that they were going to love us. And so because of this, we often put that off on God. We may cognitively know that God loves us. We have this head knowledge but we don't have the heart knowledge. You know, there's a big difference between information and belief because information says, I know this, but belief says, I live this out. I live into this. And I don't know about you, but I have a huge problem, a huge disconnect between information and belief. And a lot of that comes with, does God really love me and can he handle me? Can I really be honest about myself with God? And so I want to talk about a couple different ways that he knows us. And we're going to be looking at um, a passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So if you have your Bible with you or Bible app, if you have the Bible memorized, please come up here (laughs) and teach me how you did that. Um, But yes, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So I want to talk about right now how God knows our experience as humans. He knows what it means to have the emotions that we have, to have the temptations that we have, to have the pain that we have. And I think this is a powerful passage that shows that. Personally, I, you know, after I became a Christian, I didn't really read Hebrews for a while, but I've come to the conclusion that this should be one of the first books that you read because it's so powerful pointing out with who Jesus really is as God in human flesh. So let's read this, Hebrews four fourteen through 16. It says, Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, You know, I think that that passage could, could preach itself. But I think that it is so powerful because it says in 16, because, well, back in 15, because Jesus is able to sympathize with us because he was tempted and because he was without sin and conquered it, it says that we can come with confidence to the throne of grace. We don't have to shy away in shame. It says that we can come with confidence which if you think about a holy God, that should blow your mind that we can come with confidence regardless of what we have going on. And the other thing is it says that he's able to sympathize, but he was without sin, you know? And and that's huge because I think a lot of times we want someone who can sympathize with us or empathize with us, someone who knows what we've been through, and that's a really comforting thing, but if, but if it's just a human, that's all it can be. Because there's no power to overcome it. There's no power to break the chains of it. There's no power to heal the heart. Yes, sympathy and empathy from other people are beautiful, but we need a God who's holy, who overcame these things so that we can break our chains, so that he can break our chains. That is what we need. We need an overcomer. And this passage says that we have a high priest in the person of Jesus. And the high priest is the ultimate, he's the ultimate judge. For those of you who know a bit about the Old Testament, you know that the high priest was someone who would go into the tabernacle and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people's sins. And this was not a one-time situation, this was over and over and over. And so almost the minute that your sin and your pain were taken care of, it was time to do it again. And yet because of Jesus and his sacrifice and the fact that he overcame, he actually took care of that completely once and for all. And I think as humans, that's so hard to believe because it's so other than us, because only a holy God could could take care of that. And so I think for us, when we think about this idea of going to the throne with confidence, I think what we're really doing is just trying to go to make atonement. We're not going to the throne with confidence to meet God in the place that he says he is, as someone who loves us and knows us and who has forgiven us. We're coming to make atonement because... We have some head knowledge but we don't have the belief that God really took care of it. And so it can become this stressful, painful experience. And, if, and after a while, and this has happened to me, you, you get so ridden down with shame and frustration about your life, you quit going to God altogether. Because you think, you know what, Maybe maybe he isn't who he says he is. Maybe I can't go to the throne with confidence. But the scripture says, no, that because of who he is, you can, in fact, go to the throne with confidence before God. That is your right as children of God if you are in Christ. You know, and and the part where it's talking about Jesus suffered and that he, he experienced all the temptations that we experience. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I think that maybe these temptations weren't as bad as mine. Because he was fully God and he was fully human. Like maybe he stubbed his toe and like thought about cussing. You know, these were the kinds of temptations Jesus must have done. But it couldn't have been anything like I am tempted by. And yet that's not what scripture says. It says that he was tempted in every respect. Jesus was tempted in every respect. And I think that's so hard to grasp because we're not given the details of all of those temptations, we're given the details of some of them, but it says that he was tempted in every respect and that he can sympathize and that he overcame it. And so because of that, we can approach the throne with confidence. You know, if if you were able to flip back really quickly, you don't have to do this, but um, in Hebrews chapter two, verse 18, It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those being tempted. So again, it's reiterated. But so here's the question again. If you believed what's actually true, because I believe what scripture said is true, that's what's true. The world will tell you other things are true, but scripture's true. If you really believed that you could come before God with confidence because of what He has done and who He is, how would that change your relationship with God? What might you say to Him? What might you do? What frustrations, what sin, what fears might you finally be able to unload and allow Him to help you carry the burden? Because you finally came and were finally honest about what's going on. God knows your experience. And I would say he knows the human experience better than all of us because he was fully God and he was fully human but he knew what it was like to be human and to the fullest. To know what a full life of humanity really meant. But I think there's also this temptation to think along the way, kind of like the the Jesus being tempted in maybe lesser ways than us. There's this temptation to be like, you know, that, that might be true for you, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's going on in my life. We tend to elevate ourselves above the sacrifice of the cross. And think that somehow what we've done isn't covered by that. And yet that can't possibly be true because a holy God takes care of everything. You can't elevate yourselves beyond a holy God and his sacrifice. It's actually prideful to do that. But here's the thing, not only does God know the human experience intimately, but he knows you particularly intimately. He knows each one of you, where you've come from, what's going on in your life, your trauma, your past, your pain, your sin, your struggles—the thing that you think that you're never going to be able to break, the thing you never want to talk about—he knows those things intimately, and that's already true. But I think a lot of times we want to hide from it. But uh, I'm gonna—I'm gonna tell you a little story here um, from the Bible, as it is. Um, we're gonna be looking at John four verses fifteen through seventeen in a minute, but I'm gonna summarize again John 4:15 through 17 but I'm going to I'm going to summarize the beginning of this and a lot of you have probably heard this and read this and even had it preached on and it's the story of the woman at the well so the situation is Jesus and his disciples are walking and they decide to go through Samaria and as they are going through Samaria here in the heat of the day is this woman at the well And she shouldn't be there. That isn't a time when people go there. She's clearly avoiding people. It's inconvenient. It's the heat of the day. It's been hot here in Pittsburgh. I don't want to be her. It's not a convenient time. She's hiding. She's avoiding. But Jesus begins an interaction with her. And it's significant. If you don't really understand ancient culture, which I know I don't, <laughs> but the more we learn about it, the more you, you understand how significant these interactions were. So this interaction with this woman, it was ethnically significant because Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. It was significant because of gender, because men just didn't stop and talk to women. It was also significant for another reason And that's because you see Jesus acknowledging the truth about where this woman's at. And you got to think about this. For a woman in this time period, her situation, and we're going to read about it, her situation, her problems, her sin, it was significant. She would have been canceled a long time ago. (laughs) Like, it's bad. In that culture this woman had so much going on but Jesus stops to talk to her and he acknowledges what she's got going on and then he offers her a drink of living water that leads to eternal life meaning I'm the living water I'm the eternal life he's offering himself to her and so here we'll pick up in John 4 verses 15 to 17 At first glance you know it's funny that we have this kind of fluffy version of Jesus because he loved people he loved him so much and that's what we're talking about but he got straight to the point he was not interested in beating around the bush he wanted to get to know you and he wanted to know what was up and he wanted to take care of it and draw you to himself but at first glance here you might think that Jesus is a little cruel Because if I came up to you and uh, started naming off all of your sins, and was like, well, actually, you're right, that's not your husband, and named all of that stuff, you would be like, you're judgmental and run away. But there's something different here with Jesus, and there's something significant. You know, I would have preferred that he revealed himself another way, because if this were just about knowing things, like premonition or knowing things about me, um, he could have said anything. He could have been like, this is what you ate every day for dinner for the past week. He could have, he could have literally done anything. If it were modern day, it could be like, "This is who you're stalking on Instagram. You should probably stop." I stalk because I care. No, you don't. So he could have said anything, but he goes right in to all of these things that are not only sin, they're painful, I'm sure there was a lot of trauma, there's no way a woman in that time period with this many husbands had not been abused in some way along the way. But for him to not only name the things she was trying to hide and run away from, but to offer himself after he shows that he knows it, this is what caused her to, after these verses, to run back to her village and tell everybody about him, about the Messiah, and say, you need to come meet the man who told me everything I've ever done. Somebody who's going to the well in the heat of the day, avoiding somebody, avoiding everybody, to have the changed life, to run in the midst of everyone, and say, he knows what I did. He knows all of this stuff, and yet he's calling me to himself. That is a changed and regenerated life that's born out of honesty before God, dealing with what's true. You know, I think it's oftentimes hard to face the truth about ourselves. Oftentimes we like to ignore the things that have happened to us, We like to downplay our sin, our thoughts. We act surprised when we're sinful. We act surprised when we act out. But this isn't surprising to God. He knows the depths of who we are. And it's hard to face the truth, but that's what we need to do when we come to the throne with confidence, like Hebrews 4 says. Because that is where change and regeneration takes place. You know, if Jesus had not confronted her with exactly where she was at, she wouldn't be able to receive the fullness of his grace. She would be able to receive a little bit, like grace enough for maybe this stuff over here. But she wouldn't have known the magnitude of God's grace. Because to receive the magnitude, she had to know that he knew everything, not just maybe this little thing over here. You know, and I think that oftentimes that is what we do when we come before the Lord. We accept just a little grace because we don't believe. We don't believe that he has truly atoned for us. We don't believe that we can come to him in confidence. So we tell him something vague. It's like, God, I sinned. I thought this terrible thing. But we don't get specific about that thing. We don't get specific about why. God, my internet habits have been bad. But we don't get specific about our lust. We don't get specific. We just accept a little grace because if we actually said with our mouths what was really going on, what if he rejected us? But the truth is that is not what is going to happen and that is not what scripture says. That is not what scripture says. And so if you want to experience the fullness of God's grace, then you have to come to him with everything that needs grace and not withhold anything. And that's really hard to do. And yet that is what scripture promises. And that's where you get the power to overcome. That is gospel power. Because I think we all know if you've ever tried anything, or tried to stop doing anything, trying harder doesn't work very well. <laughs> if you've struggled with a sin, if you've struggled with mental health, if you've struggled with um, lust, if whatever it is, trying harder lasts a little while. It lasts a little while and we need somebody who can offer us grace to the fullest so that we can experience his love wherever we're at, wherever we're struggling. You know, and as it pertains to our sins, this is where you encounter regeneration because you're actually able to receive that and when you receive the love of God, that in that such of a like a magnitude that big, you can't help but be conformed to him. To at least want to get up and be like, "You know what? I want to be more like Jesus." You may not you may not completely be different that day, but I bet you you're different than you were before. And hopefully five years from now, if you keep doing that, you're a little bit different than you were now. Because that is where regeneration and gospel power takes place when we come before the Lord with honesty and the truth about ourselves. Now that's a beautiful thing. Um, And that's true about God. But what about other people? What about the body of believers? What about people who are supposed to image God to us what about what about those people because you know God he's sinless and and he's holy but do you really want to tell somebody else (laughs) because they're sinful and I don't know if I can trust them and you know what there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that but there's also a lot of opportunity in that because as believers we have the opportunity to love people well by hearing their truth and by taking them to the throne of grace. We can't be the throne of grace. I, I, can, I can remind you of what God's done, but I can't, I can't be God. I can't give you grace. I can only take you there. I can only take you there. But that is exactly what people need. They need people who can be a bridge to the throne when they don't know how to get there. Maybe they can't walk to the throne with confidence, but maybe you with confidence can walk with them so that next time they can. And so I believe that as the church, we can begin to do this in several ways. I think, one, you can be someone who gives people the benefit of the doubt because everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. You know, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt all the time. You cut somebody off in traffic, it's like, eh, I'm late. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, what's your problem? <laughs> things, go, things go downhill quickly. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt all the time. What if, what if loving others looked like doing that? And hearing their story and saying, you know what? I don't know what to say, but I, but I know someone who does. And I know where you can go with confidence. If you are in Christ, I know that you can come to Jesus. You can't change people. I can't change people. Only the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can change people. But you can remind them of that. And you can show them Jesus who can change them. And that's really freeing, knowing that you can't do it. As a, as a college minister, I struggle with that. Because it's like, man, if I just say the right thing, if I just do the right thing, if I just show up enough, then something will change. But guess what? I'm just called to show up. I'm just called to love people. I can't change anything. I'm just doing what I'm called to do. And all of us just need to do what you're called to do with people in your lives and see what God does. Second thing, um, there's an author named Ann Jackson, and she has a quote um, in one of her books, and it's really become a life mantra for me. Um, because I benefited, it, benefited from it one time and the quote is this, it says, give people the gift of going second. And what it means is this, share your stuff first. <laughs> because many times people don't want to admit what's going on because there's no safe space to do that and you start to imagine that there's no way that anybody else is going through the same thing. There's no way. But... We know that's far from the truth. We know it is. The, the problem is is we, we judge our lives by reality, by the truth, but we judge everybody else's lives just by one sense, visual. You know, may, maybe our ears. But we see what's on Instagram, we see what's on Facebook, Snapchat, and we portray what their life might be, what, what they might be like, but we know what's really going on in our lives, and we create a false reality. And so I know that if someone else is willing to say, you know what, I need Jesus and this is why, you give someone else the gift of going second because they can say, you know what, oh my gosh, me too, me too. You can help them have the courage to say the things that maybe they've been needing to say. Now, you know what, you might go first and they might not go second. (laughs) They might be like, hmm. But at least you gave them the opportunity. (laughs) At least you gave them the opportunity. And three, I think as a church, we need to start thinking about um, what does the practice of confession mean in general? I think so oftentimes um, confession has been um, delivered in such a way that it's this judgmental practice where it's like confess. But that's never what it's supposed to be is supposed to be an honest account of where you are before the Lord. And because we are a body of Christ, we can help one another along in that process. You know, it says in the book of James, it says, Confess, therefore, to your brothers so that you can be healed. And so I think that, the, you know, he's recognizing the reality that, that God's people are God's hands and feet. And there's something about being able to take your struggles to somebody else and have them walk alongside of you that is powerful and provides healing. It just is. You know, sin, trauma, pain, all that stuff, it loves the dark. It loves to thrive in the dark. Because then God can't deal with it. People, Other people can't help. It's just you battling your flesh and it's you battling Satan. And it festers and it grows. But when we start to bring the truth before God and before other people, wisely, of course, with other people, but when we begin to do that, it begins to lose its power because we take it to the throne with confidence. You know, um, right before I became a Christian, um, I became a Christian in college, and I was struggling with a lot of stuff. I had some some stuff from my past I had not dealt with, um, still dealing with. I was struggling with depression. I was stuck in sin. Um, I was pretty debilitating. And I was confronted by some friends who were followers of Jesus. And what I had thought would happen was rejection because that was the story that I was told. But what I received was embrace and love, and grace, and people who said, we know where you can go. We know a throne where you can go with confidence. And I just thought to myself, if these are God's people, then how much more do I want him? If this is just a foretaste, then how much do I want the God of the universe, if this is what he's like? And so I I took the leap. I did. So this is what I want you as a church to think on. Do you believe that Jesus is enough, that his sacrifice is enough, and that he can handle you? I want you to take a chance and be honest with him. Don't be vague when you, and and this takes time, right? Like this is going to take effort because I I would prefer to move on with my day. I don't want to have to sit there and deal with reality. But take a chance and come before the Lord with honesty about what's going on. And, and see what happens and if you do that over and over and over again see what happens because I think that you will encounter the grace of God in such a way that you will experience gospel power to where even if maybe the circumstance doesn't change you're changed something about you has changed and where are people that you trust are there people you trust here if not why do you need to get to know them how, how do you need to connect But can you take a chance on somebody or a group of people to show you grace when when you're scared and maybe you're like, oh, I want to go to God, but also I need people, but I'm terrified. Would you take a chance? And would you be people who could offer grace to others and show them where they can find the Lord of the universe? So I'm just going to close by reading our verse in uh, our passage in Hebrews again, and then pray. So again, Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you, God in the flesh, came down here into all of our mess and chose to experience what we experience. Thank you. For experiencing what we experience and yet thank you for being so holy and so other than we are that you can overcome and that we can have a taste of that freedom on earth and that one day we will be completely free of those things that we will be completely free of sin and completely free of pain God but in the meantime between now and then continue to show us glimpses of healing and grace and love in such a way that, it's, that we're unable to become, we're unable to stay how we are. We are compelled to be more like you, and we become more like you because of your gospel and because of your power. God, be with this church as they continue to serve one another and love one another and meet each other where they're at because it's in the truth, God, that, that we find you. We ask this in your name. Amen.